Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Nails here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Dedman. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. we got to streamline this preparation process because this LFD Chapter 1 has been staring me down for about 15 minutes now. While we, while we well, kind of got our act together collectively. It, did, it didn't help that you got here, started setting up, and I said, I'm running up the street to get some coffee. I kind of, yeah, despite well, the fact that I've been here for two hours and I could have been doing some of this. Sure. Well, you, you need to, have you ever heard of a thermos? We could get you a thermos and you could like carry, I got like three or four Stanley vacuum pack firm, thermoses. Okay. So when I wake up in the morning, I make a French press, which is a quart of coffee. Noelle and I share that. Then after she leaves for work, because I leave for work after she does, I make another one. And I either drink some of it hey, at hey, the... Or, all all at of the, this is holding up my cigar. Well, I'm, I'm talking <laughs> like the dang thing. You already told people what it is. Uh, so then I make another... And I usually put that in a Yeti cup, and that stays hot until about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So I drink all of that. But especially on Wednesdays, where I need to have a certain amount of energy in my voice, and it's five, you know, almost 6 o'clock... I need more coffee. So I've, I've been through the thermos. It's empty. i got to fill the tank back up. Get two thermoses. I no but, kidding have had that Stanley stuff stay hot for two days. Yes, but as someone who isn't a huge coffee drinker, you probably wouldn't realize, but coffee does degrade over time. You know, it gets stale. So after coffee's been sitting out for about three hours, you really, it's not as good as it was when it's fresh. So... Had, having made coffee at 9 o'clock in the morning, I don't know that I'd want to be drinking it at 6 p.m. Okay, so I'm smoking an LFD Chapter 1. This is the cigar I wanted today. <laughs> I know, I just glassed right past you. <laughs> so this is a Brazilian wrapper, Dominican Republic, um, filler, binders, Connecticut Broadleaf. One of my favorite cigars. Are you just going to sit there and stare at me? I wanted to see if I could unnerve you. It worked. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you were deciding what part of your crawl space to hide me in. Uh, it's lucky for you we're on a slab. So, you ever worry that about was, that with your job? What? That, that you're going to find like a dead hobo in the crawl space? <laughs> not you. There have been some that I've gone in and been like, I'm not sure. Again, I'd rather find a dead hobo than a dead raccoon. Or, or skunk, a live raccoon, or, or, or skunk, or a snake, <laughs> or or a live one of those, especially. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Let's get back to cigars. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Yeah. Uh, that's this is one of the rare occasions where you actually came in with a cigar that you had lined up to smoke on the show, but just you had something that you absolutely had to smoke. Like that was the cigar on your mind. So what happened was the other day I had a short amount of time. And I didn't have as long as I wanted to to really set and smoke. And I opened my humidor, and there was an LFD chisel. And I'll which I actually like better than the Chapter One. Well, I, it's smaller. Yeah, and that probably has something. The Vitola probably has something to do with it. It's still basic shape, but just a little di- little smaller. And this one was the last one of a box I bought about two years ago, mm-hmm. and it was so wonderful. I thought, I'm, I'm smoking a, a chisel point cigar of some sort on the show. 
And then today at random, I just grabbed that cigar out of the humidor, and then I thought, no, I want the LFD. I wish I had uh, grabbed you ahead of time. So I think I've told this story on the show before, but it's been so long since either one of us ever smoked a, a chiseled cigar that I don't remember if I've actually told the story or not. Platypus? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so to, to the uninitiated listener, how great would it be if we just walked on from that? They're like, what's going on with the platypus? Platypus? So when I was repping for <laughs> Calibri, it was right after the deep V cut had just come out. And I was never a fan of a V-cut before then, and but just fell in love with that cutter, as did pretty much all of the area reps. So we all pretty much carried one of those. I was sitting at Wise Ash Cigars down in Smyrna, Georgia, when um, Sean Hardiman walks in. He was the LFD rep at the time. And we came up with the idea to cut it with the V-cut long ways. And so, basically, as the chisel comes to a point, the V is on the same plane with the long side of the cigar. So we called it the platypus. It is still my favorite way to cut that cigar. I actually thought about that when I sat down, but I just had my straight cutter with me. Have you ever done it? Yeah, I did. We did it. Uh, we did it way back on the show a couple of times. Okay, I couldn't remember. It's, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, we did it a couple of times on the show. We, we kind of. It's funny because we both kind of had an LFD phase, and then we kind of moved out of it pretty quickly. Yeah, I. It's just, and I've talked about it before, and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's just I feel like I don't get the flavor complexity, with the exception of the chapter one and the chisel. I don't feel like I get. And really, the chapter one more than the chisel. I don't feel like I get a lot of flavor complexity out of their stuff anymore. It's it's a lot of strength for the sake of strength. Uh-huh. But tell them about your cigar, Trey. So, I'm I'm getting your sloppy seconds, basically. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. This, <laughs> Shane walks in and he goes, "Do you want to smoke a Project Forty on the show? Good, because I want a chisel." <laughs> so uh, this is the Alec Bradley Project Forty, which we've talked about on the show before. I think you've smoked one on the show already. Um, so basically, it's Nicaraguan wrapper leaf over Brazilian Habano binder and Nicaraguan fillers. Uh, CI is rating this at about a medium strength. Based on what it looks like, I'd say that sounds about right. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's a, it's a medium to mild. Um, I'm going to tell you, I smoked one of those not on the show. I was doing something, and I did not give it the attention it deserved. That's why I was going to smoke it again tonight. Okay. Because it started out really bland, and then it came alive. Well, it, it got a heartbeat. I won't say it came alive, but it got a heartbeat about halfway through it. Okay. And also, I'm before I judged the cigar unfairly, I figured I'd let you smoke it and tell me. Gotcha. Well, so, you know, Project 40 is basically uh, based on the principle. Turn that ringer up. Well, that's, <laughs> that was my work phone. Uh, I'm usually pretty good about not doing that. Anyway. The, uh, based on the concept that 50% of your happiness comes from genetics, 10 on circumstance, and the remaining 40% depends on your outlook and mindset. So I guess if you don't like it, they're saying it's on you, right? Right. There, yeah. If, it's kind of a complete cop-out. But I'm, it's not a cigar I don't like. I just don't know that... I don't know. I haven't given it a fair chance. I can honestly say the first time I smoked it, I think I was driving somewhere and just was not able to enjoy it to the fullest of my abilities. Well, but the price is right. And at a $5 stick, you shouldn't have to be sitting somewhere. You know, it should be 
enjoyable, you know, you wouldn't want it to be, you know, a two rating, which right. is, you know, rather not smoke than smoke this. But it doesn't necessarily have to give you a lot because at $5 a stick, you can afford to smoke it while you're fishing or on the golf course or driving or somewhere where you're not paying attention to it. Well, a, a $5, it'll give you $5 worth of joy. That's, what, that's really what we're after. So let's go straight to the news. So this week was the national championship game and off college football. Watched it here at the shop, had a big crowd, had food, had time of all of us sitting around joking. Um, just a great, great, there's nothing beats watching a sport. And I'm not a big sports guy. Everybody knows that. But I really enjoy just sitting with the guys and watching them watch it. Well, and I watched it up at the Abbey this this year. And just because of the nature of the way my day was going, that was the part of town I was in. I have probably watched an entire one game's worth of football this whole season. I, like, I never sat down and watched a whole game. But the snippets I watched probably equated to about a whole game until I watched about the first three quarters of this one before I had to get home. It was a really good game. Did a great job is LSU and the Clemson Tigers. I'm really disappointed that Exxon didn't sponsor this. They're both Tigers or Frosted Flakes or somebody. But so the big news cigar wise that come out of this is the picture of Joe Burris, the LSU quarterback, smoking a cigar, and the LSU guys in the LSU locker room lighting up and smoking cigars to celebrate their national championship victory. Do you think Saban's going to sue them for copyright infringement? No. I, I think the more people we have sell, you know, a cigar celebration is just that. Nobody should ever fault anybody for it. I'm not even going to get into the cops threatening to arrest them. See, I, well, I was going to use that as a segue into our next article. But here's the, here's the main point. This is a Forbes article from Forbes.com. What cigar were they smoking? I, I just of, read that part. Is that why? That's why. Oh, okay. All, all of all of us cigar aficionados, that's the one thing we really wanted to know is what cigars he got. And uh, it's actually a pretty good pretty good story. Now, have you read the article? Do you know what cigar they were smoking? Yeah, that's what I was saying. I just looked at that. Now it now it it brings some things into clarity for me. So the they were smoking a Carl Malone from La Aurora Cigars, a basketball orange cigar. And the reason they were smoking that is the LSU strength coach, K.J. Malone, is the son of Carl Malone. So he hooked them up with some La Aurora Carl Malone cigars. I didn't even realize that those existed. Uh, Dominican made, Ecuadorian binder, wrappers, tobacco, fillers, blends from Peru, Nicaragua, Dominican Republic. Hey, let's, let's stop a minute and take our hat off to Forbes. That's not information Forbes had to put on there. That's true. And I'm, re- I'm really impressed that Forbes went the extra mile. Their cigar reporting has really improved over the course of the last six months to a year. They must have somebody in this role that really knows their stuff and yeah. is excited about it. Apparently, um, G. Clay Whitaker is the man that wrote this. And I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed that he went, went the extra mile, put it in there, just to, just to cover it for all of us cigar guys. But it was a big deal. Um, there was some ESPN reporter got her panties in a bunch because they were smoking and she was scared that it was going to kill her with two seconds exposure and all of that sort of thing. But the fact is, I think you get an, I think you get an instant um, free pass. When you win the national championship, if you want to smoke a cigar, smoke a cigar. And if it happens to be taking place in a Chicago suburb, even better. Yeah, just wherever it happens to go. <laughs> But anyway, okay, moving forward. 
I know. I guess we got to cover the big news. You just stepped all over my segue. Well, why didn't you tell me you were going to segue? Anyway. <laughs> God. All, all that time spent keeping you from your cigar doing show prep and just shot to hell. <laughs> Do we need to start the show over? No, that's okay. fine. Let's just be in all of our warts. Okay, so, well, then go ahead. You intro the article. it's too late. The major cigar news this week came out right after we finished recording last week, so uh, we're a little late to the game in covering it. Uh, But the biggest thing was that uh, four major manufacturers have pulled out of the PCA trade show this year. So, um, Altitis, General, uh, Davidoff, Davidoff, and Drew Drew Estate. There we go. You, you could have jumped in at any point. I kept I, trying to, but you were, you were reading as quick as... So the, well, these it's the, because this article from Aficionado puts the main companies and then links to all of the subsidiary companies that they list out, so you can't pick it out from among the chaff. So this has been a hot article, and everybody's had a viewpoint on this, and I've changed my viewpoint like four times on this. And also, the way I look at it, there's three ways to look at this article, at this action by these four major brands. Either A, PCA is a poorly run company, and they've dropped the ball on the trade show enough, and these guys are pulling the plug. That's kind of, that. to me, that's the theory with the most plausibility. But here's my question. It's too big a coincidence that the four major brands would all pull out on the same day at the same time if that's just the case. I mean, it's, that's, that's, too, that's asking for a little bit much out of the roll of the dice. I, I don't think so, because I think the people who the biggest companies are going to be putting in the most money and they're going to be expecting the most return. And you know these guys are talking. It's, you know, the cigar industry is competitive, yes, but it's not competitive to the point that you're keeping your moves in secrecy of your competitors. Everyone kind of talks. Well, and everybody's got their own product. It's all cigars, but it's totally different. Exactly. You know, the person who smokes Drew Estate with regularity is not going to be the same guy that, that smokes Davidoff with regularity. You know, so these guys can afford to kind of create a community at the top of the heap and, and not worry about stepping on each other's toes. No, I think... I think the fact that they all four decide to do it in the same day has more to do with backroom communication than it does with coincidence. It could just be as simple as this is the deadline to register for your booth. That could be it as well. And also, but the conspiracy theory is these are the four companies that would be affected least by the FDA cigar rules. See, to me, that is just such a conspiracy theory. I, I really don't think that any the the worst thing could be the idea that they did this because the PCA is helping you know move forward legislation that you know hopefully will get us the, the exemption and them saying they don't want to be a part of that and pulling their money out of that I just don't I, it's too short sighted it's too petty I just don't see that being and and again you want to talk about getting the four major players on the same page to to do something like that if that is the the impetus behind it i just don't see that being likely well it's it's interesting because i can see the point i can see the point where if hey if the 
premium cigar exemption does not go through, and the FDA basically kills mom-and-pop cigar manufacturers, these four companies' sales would go up. You can't deny that. You can, though. How? Because what's going to happen is is it's still going to drive prices up. It's going to shrink the community, which is going to shrink competition, which is going to drive prices up, which is going to drive a lot of cigar consumers out of the hobby altogether. I don't know. I think, you know, if it... The thing is, premium cigar exemption affects Drew Estate almost none because they already have all the testing factories because they're owned by Swisher Suites. Mm -hmm. Davidoff's got plenty of money for that. General, Altidus, all of them have plenty of money for that kind of thing. And uh, they don't have to raise their prices because they're going through testing. If they had the opportunity to break the back of all of their competition by making a little less money for two years, they would do it. It's just good business. It's not good business. It's good business. It's good business for them. <laughs> and all. So I can see the reasoning now. Do I believe that's what it is? No. I think this is PCA has become like our local home builders association. At some point, our home builders association decided to start serving the home builders association instead of the members. Well, and this is where I think it really comes down to because I have talked to a number of retailers, uh, shop owners, some of whom have been in the business for a couple of decades, some for a couple of years. And everyone says the same thing. Every year, the show gets smaller. You get less out of it. It's harder and harder to get time slots with people. And there's and the deals aren't as good as they once were. And you don't even have to show up to get the deals and I think it's because people have seen that this just isn't necessary for, for us to conduct business. The trade show is no longer the only opportunity for people to get together and share insights and, and to get FaceTime with each other. It's just, and, and like you said, I'm sure the dues have gone up, you know, several times over the course of the last decade or so. And I feel like retailers and manufacturers both feel like, they don't necessarily know where those dues are going. And I think that's it. I think, well, any foundation that becomes a self-propagating, you know, trade group, the PCA has become a self-propagating trade group rather than serving their members. Right. And when that happens, that's going to damage their, their constituency, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be a, an organization such as PCA, you have to be moving the industry forward. So can PCA save it? Or is this the first first step in the death of PCA? Can they and will they, I think, are two very different questions. I think they can. I don't know that they will. Well, it's interesting because this is kind of splitting the cigar manufacturers, you know. So Fuente steps up and says, hey, we're going to make a big show, big showing at the show. And everybody that's going to be at the show has made a point of putting their stamp that, hey, we're going to be at the show. And uh, which is actually a good thing for the show. It gives the show a lot of publicity that it otherwise wouldn't have had. Exactly. But you're talking about a small niche market you know, I- internal trade show, they don't really need a whole lot of publicity. It's not like you have shop owners and manufacturers who don't know that the PCA exists and that they put on this show. 
Well, it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm not going to. I don't want to bury a ton of time in this because it's just to me. There's too much we don't know. This all smacks of internal politics. I don't think this is Drew Estate and Davidoff trying to kill the cigar exemption. I don't believe that. But I don't. I could see how somebody could draw that conclusion. Yeah, I don't believe that for a second either. And but I do like this line from Drew Estate's announcement, which says, after six months of repeated outreach to PCA, various efforts to discuss ways to enhance the structure, organization, and value of the show for the benefit of retailers, manufacturers, distributors, and consumers were unsuccessful. That tells me exactly what you're thinking, which is that the PCA has become a business for the sake of PCA. Right. And they don't care what the manufacturer's criticisms are or making it better for anybody. They care about what's going to increase dues and make them more money. Well, arguably, this could not occur at a worse time. You know, pulling this support. Thankfully, we have Cigar Rights of America, which they can just funnel the money to Cigar Rights of America to keep going for the premium cigar exemption. And I'll and just... Last time I want to mention it. Remember them saying they're not that the, that enforcement is not a top priority is not a win. Right. That is an old political trick. They're still going to try to take the cigars. They they need the money. The FDA wants to steal your money. That's just the way it works. What do you think about the Project Forty? So far, so good. It's underwhelming, but at a five dollar cigar, you don't expect it to blow your socks off. You know, it's. Not very complex flavor-wise. It's very earthy, though. So you know, it, lots of that, a lot of that soil flavor, which I'm usually a fan of. Would have it's something I've come to expect more from Dominican tobaccos than Nicaraguan. So that's kind of a surprise to me. But it's it's also a six by sixty. Right, I bought the size I would like. Exactly. So I'm having a little hard time getting my mouth around it. Yeah, you would probably enjoy it more in a Toro. Right. And I also, I, here a second ago, I pulled out my poker and ran it up in my, um, my LFD just because this is so oily. You ever get a seal on the back? Yeah. And I felt like I was just kind of breaking that seal more so than That's actually. That's one of the reasons I like the platypus cut on it because it, it unlocks the foot of, or the head of that cigar a little bit. Yeah. When it comes down to this chisel point, it's very easy for that to become sealed off as the cigar gets warm, especially these have been around here for a while. Yeah. And if you feel of the wrapper on this cigar, it's just rich and oily. And that's there's part of that going into that. But let's take a break. Oh, the retro hell is nice. Oh, very cool. So let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about some Top 25 archives. All let's right. go back and look at the history of Top 25 cigars. Well, we'll be back with that and more after this. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under 8. This week we want to talk about the Romeo and Julieta Media Noche. This is a cigar that I don't think we've talked about on the show, but maybe once, maybe twice. I think this is a cigar that suffers from the name. It's true. It does sound a little... It it sounds a little blah, blah. Yeah. But it's actually a great cigar. So it's a Dominican cigar. The wrapper is a San Andreas Maduro wrapper. Dominican binder, Dominican filler. Um, Good, dark, rich cigar. Has a lot of flavor for that price. Medium, full-bodied, so it gives you a little bit of extra punch where where it's needed. Uh, but, But overall, just really brings 
everything you want in a cigar, especially at that $7 price point, it, it, it really delivers. Yeah, this is a cigar you probably have walked past in your humidor. So next week, stop and pick up a Romeo and Juliet Media Noche. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who's never had a friend like me, Mr. Trey Dedman. I'm not sure if that's a blessing or a curse. <laughs> I think that I think I'm just going to see how far I can go with Disney movie quotes as bump jokes this year. His <laughs> name of Disney movie songs. I know, I'm getting I'm getting my money's worth out of Disney Plus. I just think everybody should know. Even with the Mandalorian over, I'm getting my money's worth out of Disney Plus. I I have I finally had to ask my wife to please lay off on the baby Yoda. She was kind of had went way over the barrel and into the <laughs> rabbit hole with baby Yoda. I finally had and she said, "Okay, in 3 more days, I'll quit." <laughs> you can't, she can't go cold turkey yeah, on she can't baby go, Yoda. She, she's got to wean off of baby Yoda. That's so. funny. I don't know how that goes. So your reference, have you seen the live action Aladdin that just came out? I have not. I can't bring myself to replace Robin Williams with Will Smith. You know, it's actually not bad. It's There were a couple of things that I wasn't a big fan of that were a little clunky, but they did a much better job than I was expecting. You might actually be surprised. I'm not a fan of taking a great animated movie and turning it live action. You know, they've done The Lion King, and now they're doing The Fox and the Hound, and they're doing so many of those things. Yeah. It's like, uh, well, it, was, at, it was great the way it was. Do we have to with fool a, with it? Yeah, at least with Aladdin, it wasn't animals. I, see, where, where you lose me is on like Lion King and Fox and the Hound, where you're going to have to digitally make the animals talk. But at least with Aladdin, it was people. You know, So it was a little more natural looking. I will say what's funny about that is that going from animation to live action, every, animation looks very natural, but... You don't really take into consideration when you're animating something how quickly actions happen. So there were several cases in the Aladdin movie where they actually had to, like, speed up the camera work. And you could tell, obviously, they sped it up to match what they had animated 25 years ago. It was just really interesting to see that. So speaking of 25 years ago. So we were talking today, and Trey had the idea that we look back in the archives at some of the top 25 cigars that Aficionado has ranked in the in their history. And, all. and it was good because I always struggle to think, okay, how long have I been smoking cigars? And I happen to remember today, I remember the cigar of the year, the year I started smoking cigars. So the way I think we should do this is why don't you start with the year and do kind of the highlights of the year you started smoking. And then I'll kind of do the same because both of those are on here, and then we can actually go and talk about the one that make that that we think is the best top list. Yeah. So the year I started smoking was 2008, and the winner was the Casa Magna Colorado Robusto. I've had that cigar. That's a great cigar. It was great when it won, but their quality has been so going downhill. The last one of those I had was I don't know. Well, and that's the question. Okay, this was my first foray into the premium cigar experience. 
did it taste so good then because I didn't have so much to reference it against, or has the quality gone down? That's a good question. Um, you know, a couple of other notables on that. The La Roma de Cuba uh, Special Number no. 5 was a phenomenal cigar. And I'm wondering which one of these can we, you know, could could a man still get? I mean, obviously you could still get the Romeo and Juliet Short Churchill. You can still get the Dom Papin Lancero. Yeah, Oliva Series V and all that's on there. There's kind of staples. It's interesting as I was looking through this to see what kind of the staples of the top 25 have been over the years. The Padron 26 80 year. Yeah, you, you can still get some of those. And this is from 11 years ago. Yeah. And uh, from 2008. Now, what year did you start smoking? I will, I, before we go on to that, I will say um, the Casa Torano Maduro Robusto is at number 17 on this list is a cigar that you can't get anymore, and that's a shame. That was a really good cigar. And look at the color on that thing, too. I mean, yeah, it's black dark. as night. Yeah, that's just super dark. So we were really lucky. I don't know. This is one of those I'm not sure if they've just decided that this was going to be, that they were just going to hold 15 years of data, or if 2004 was around the age that they started digitizing this list. But it worked out in our favor because 2004 was the year I started smoking. That was the year I turned 18. Um, And it was also the same year that I had my first Padron 1926, which was Cigar of the Year this year. And obviously well worth it. It's hard to argue of a Padron now. Number two, the Aurora 100 Años Bellicoso. Isn't there another? Ain't they re-releasing that cigar in the coming days? I think so. Yeah, but it's interesting that that's one of the things they're going to re-release in the coming days. Um, the La Gloria Cubana Reserve Figurado was a cigar that actually came out that year. I remember because I had it. It was phenomenal. That was back when E.P. Carrillo still owned La Gloria Cubana outright before it went to general. I, they said that they didn't change the blends on those cigars, but I'm certain they did because they are nowhere near the same cigar that they used to be. Again, that could just be 15 years of smoking other cigars talking. Um, Ashton VSG came out that year, and it got number seven. Some other notables on the list. Um, a, a lot of Cubans, actually. Yeah, and I have noticed that's one of the things. I don't know if Cuban tobacco has gone down and Nicaraguan tobacco has come up, or if aficionado just said, hey, why put cigars on the list that are so hard to get? Right. So when I first started smoking cigars, my cigar of choice was the Don Tomas. And when I first, and so after smoking that for a couple of months, you know, with a couple of other things here and there, the people at Don's Humidor in Waco, Texas said, hey, you want to try branching out a little bit? Why don't you try the La Roma de Cuba? Number 16 that year was La Roma de Cuba Corona. This is a cigar you can still get. But here's something I find tremendously fascinating here. What do you? What is the cost of the La Roma de Cuba these days? Um, I gotta say, like ten, twelve. Yeah, it's it's right around that line. Yeah. You want to know what it was in 2004? Three dollars and ninety-five cents. And it's. And still- I remember thinking that was expensive compared to the Don Tomas, which was right around like two fifty-three dollars a stick. Well, I, re- I remember that same thing when I first started smoking cigars, saying, I'm not paying over $6 for a cigar. Yeah. I don't care how good it is. I think I paid $12 for the VSG Toro that I smoked that year, and and maybe 14 for the 
40-year Padron 26. Well, so the other interesting thing on this list is number 12, the San Cristobal de la Habana. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you I've smoked two of those that were totally fake. Oh, yeah, I definitely (laughs) have as well. At all. It's it's interesting how that that cigar will always, for me, I'll always take it with a um, grain of sand. And I'll, so. so okay, so those are the highlights from the years we started smoking. Going through this archive, what year did you look at where you said, you know what, that's the one that they got perfect? I'm pull, I'm pulling it up because it's. I looked through it and it's hard to say that they ever get one perfect. Well, yeah. And I'll, but you can. So my here's my criteria. If it's a special edition, it's out. And I'll if it's a Cuban, it's out. Those two, those two things instantly disqualify for that. Now, I will say 2009 is probably as close to a true representation of what a top 25 should look like. So I took it a little bit differently. I, I was kind of approaching it from the standpoint of pretty much every cigar on this list is one that I think should be on a top 25 list. So whether it was, you know, whether it was Cuban or not, whether it was special edition or not, but it was more like, because we know that they're going to do those things. So which one of these do I feel was, was my palate through and through? So you said 2009 for you? 2009, the number one cigar was Padron Family Reserve number 45 Maduro, the Little Hammer. This is just a great cigar. I've had that cigar. And all, and that's you know it's a small cigar for the price. Now, I wonder what the cost of it was back in those days. Twenty five dollars, and all, and it was a six by fifty two, so not not a terribly small cigar. Right. But as a matter of fact, I don't think they make them that big anymore. Why do I think that the ones that they have now are are a lot smaller than that? They seem to me to be five and a half by forty forty twos yeah. or something like that. But number two is a Cuban. I throw that out. Um, my father, number three, Diamond Crown Maximus, number four. Which and, you smoked recently. Yeah, I smoked in the in the surprise episode at the Stogie Awards. Oliva, Siri V, the Ashton, the Rocky Patel, Fuente Hemingway. Um, you know, a lot of these are really, really good cigars that deserve to be on the list. I can't say there's a there's a dog in the bunch. Yeah, I agree. Kind of the unsung hero on this list for me, well, there's two of them. At number 23 and 24 is the CAO LX2, their double Ahero that was phenomenal. And then 24 being the Zycar HC Habano, which was a, it was kind of a flash in the pan. It didn't stick around very long, but that was a cigar that was very, very good for its time. But back in 2009, it was $9.25, and that was kind of out of the price range for a lot of people. Yeah, that was kind of top of the market. And uh, they even have the Nestor Miranda Special Edition at number 25, which just was re-released this year. Mm -hmm. Not wild about that cigar. I know I've seen you smoking a couple of them, but I'm not wild about that smoke. I... I do. I did like this year's. I felt like it was very similar to the original, but it's also one of those that I kind of have to be. Pretty much anything with Nestor Miranda's name on it, I have to be in a specific mood for it. Now, granted, when I am, it hits me in all the right spots. But I, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. Yeah, and by the way, sorry, got to pull the show over for just a second. Cigar.com 
has actually got the new edge barrel aged mm. in on there, and they're like six dollars each. And I almost ordered ten just because how bad could an edge barrel age be? Fair enough. And Rocky hasn't created. How long has it been since Rocky created a new edge cigar? It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's interesting that they just pulled that out. But, okay, going back to top 25s, what was your favorite year? See, this, this was actually a really tough chore for me because I had all 15 lists to choose from. And what really surprises me is that I thought for sure that mine was going to come out of a time before, between when you and I started smoking. But I've got to say... And it really came down to two years. 2007 was really good, but I think I've got to say 2012. I think for my palate, 2012 was a great year for cigars. First and foremost, Cigar of the Year was the My Father Florida Los Antillas. That is, has become a staple of many humidors to this point. Phenomenal cigar in that medium to medium plus range. A couple of other highlights. Obviously, you've got a Padron at number four, like it should be. That was the hammer. Um, Romeo by Romeo and Juliet, uh, that was the year it came out. Right. Um, Great little cigar. It it kind of, you still see them at Casa, but pretty much nowhere else. But that's a great, that was a great cigar. I got a lot of flack from my friends at the time for liking it, but I really enjoyed it. Well, that was kind of when Altida started turning the corner. Yeah. When they started doing some more of their their more exotic blends and started really turning the corner, number eight, the Rocky Patel fiftieth. Right, I'll always love that cigar. Yeah, the uh, the Arturo Fuente Magnamar at number five is a phenomenal cigar. For I think the um, the Magnamar and the um, I don't remember the is one of two of their cigars that I will actually smoke with some regularity. Um, making it pretty quick. Christoph Corojo at number 11 is a phenomenal cigar. You don't see it around very often, but it's tremendous, and I know you'll hate this, but number 10, the Nat Sherman Timeless, I, I really enjoy. I've talked about it on the show before. This was before they were on your list, so yeah. I don't want to hear it. Um, I know you threw out the Cubans, but number 16, the Bolivar Bellicoso, is the best Cuban cigar in existence. Uh, that's a phenomenal cigar. The Oliva Serie V makes an appearance at number 18. I mean, there's not a stinker in the bunch. It would be interesting. We'd have to do some data compilation. It would be interesting what cigar has appeared the most. Because, you know, it's on every one of these lists, there's been an Oliva V. Yeah. And uh, it's like Oliva just always has one in the top. Yeah. And I will say, impressive to see the Headley Grange from Crowned Heads at number 24 on this list. I think that was right around the year that that cigar came out. Number 25, rounding up the top five from this year, uh, is the San Latano Oval. That's another one of those cigars that you don't see very often, and it's not in a whole lot of places, and most people walk by it if you've never had it, but it's such a good cigar. So, another interesting thing. In 2012, the Rocky Patel 50th cost $19. What do you think the Rocky Patel 50th cost today? Isn't it close to $30? $21. So, in... In essence, in seven years, it's only went up $2. That's, that's whole Rocky, Rocky holding pretty good. Yeah, it is. Now, we're in the second edition of the 50th now with the red label, and that was the orange label. But you can still find some of the orange label ones in, in different shops. 
just uh, looked at this. The LFD Cameroon Cabinet Chisel was number 12 that year. I don't remember that cigar. I don't either. And I, I would have I would to like see if to I can one. find one of yeah, those. Yeah, I'd like to have one of those. Cameroon Cabinet Chisel. That sounds pretty good. I like the LFD Cabinet Series. I do, too. And uh, if you look now... Really, I started smoking in 2008, but it really, we started this podcast in 2016? 17. Was it 17? January of 2017? Mm-hmm. And, and of course, because the Eye of the Shark was the number one cigar. Yeah. Which should never have made the list. That That's probably, if it didn't have the Guardian of the Farm at number eight, I would probably judge that list harsher. Right. Because if you look at the top five, of course, you got a Siri V from Oliva still in the running. And a Padron 26. Yeah. And, and the Boulevard, which I really like, which I know you throw that out because it's Cuban. And I'll, my father, the judge, with good smoke, cannot um, complain. I will say this. The Ashton Symmetry got number six that year. I remember when that cigar came out and everyone lost their minds over it. I have never enjoyed that cigar. It just doesn't. To me, it is such a one-note chord. I never get, especially for the price, I never get anything out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The Ashton stuff does not impress me much. And I'll even the higher-end Ashton stuff, um, Hoya Black Nocturno, mm-hmm. number 22. The New World Puro Especial, which is really good from A.J. Fernandez. Yeah, so the, the year we started was not the strongest list, but wasn't terrible. But they got your undercrown on there. It's not the shade, but it's still... Yeah, they got the undercrown on there. It, it was an even representation of the market. And that's, I guess that's what this is all about, is you want to look at kind of a slice of what the market was like. Right. So if you, if you get an opportunity, head on over to Aficionado's website and click on where it says Top 25. At the bottom of that page, it has the archive. Scroll through these, these years and, and just take a walk down memory lane. There were some cigars on here that I forgot about, like the Toronto Exodus, for example, that it's just... I wish there was somebody holding on to all of these that I could find, because there are some of those cigars that I know you can't get anymore that I'd really love to have. Okay, now do you want to transition into the article you tried to transition into earlier? We can. (laughs) And I'll just go for it. Well, this is... Actually, actually I don't. I want to start with the one from Eater.com. And... Basically, the title of the article is Have Restaurant Smoking Bans Gone Too Far? And I'm really glad to say this isn't, you know, a mass market publication, so I don't think this is going to get a whole lot of traction, but I love the fact that we're not the only people saying this. Basically, the idea is, you know, smoking bans from a legislative standpoint are overreaching and should be left up to the discretion of the business owner. Well, not only that, it should be left up to the discretion of his customer. Well, you know, if there was a steakhouse around here that you could smoke a cigar while you ate a steak, I'd probably never darken the door. I don't want to smoke and eat at the same time. I want to eat, and then I want to go somewhere and smoke. But I do not, I've I never seen the appeal of, okay, so you can't wait 20 minutes after your last, you know, bite of cheesecake. you got to fire one up right there. But... If you think about it from a standpoint of dining out being an experience, which is the case for some people, if you go to a steakhouse and you have a nice steak and a good baked potato and, you know, slice of cheesecake, and then you're sitting around with a couple of friends or a couple friend or whatever, and then, and then you have the opportunity to light up a cigar 
while you're still enjoying coffee or drinks or whatever. That's part of an experience. And I think there should be an avenue for that. To say, because the thing is, if the market dictated that the customers wanted that, there would be a business that offered that. As of right now, though, it doesn't matter because the government has said whether you want to or not, you can't do it. Yeah, you know, I don't think, I think this is a solution without a problem. If people didn't want smoking in restaurants, they wouldn't go to the restaurants where there was smoking. It's that simple. So I don't I don't understand why we ever needed legislation to work on this. Right. And I'll, now his his arguments in this article, and I'll um, argues on the basis of secondhand smoke science being too much, and argues on the basis of um, how it's damaging the industry and banning on tobacco outside cigarettes. He to me this he's kind of majoring in the minors. Here's the big deal. May let the government needs to step out of the way, mm-hmm. and if the market dictates somebody, you know, we don't have people that don't like smoke come in the cigar shop. Right, works out perfectly, and all that's the way it should go. Mm-hmm. And all if you if you have problems with smoking, then don't rent a spot next to a cigar shop. Exactly, and all which leads to the Waukegan Sun article <laughs> from the Chicago Tribune. And uh, this is our last article, but I, I had to make a transition just to aggravate Trey. Um, Waukegan Cigar Lounge sues neighboring activists for defamation, says they're operating a church illegally. Which this, which the article didn't really get into, but I, I just I think this is hilarious because it goes to, you know, it just speaks to that idea that. What's the saying? You know, your rights end where mine begin sort of thing. And she has decided... So, basically, this woman operates a church in a strip mall. And based on the context of the article, it seems as if she moved in after the cigar lounge was already in operation. And now she has taken to picketing outside the business and uh, uh, making defamatory statements on their Facebook page and in public all because she can smell the smoke from her church next door. You know, there's an old phrase. Hurt people hurt people. And, you you know, if you look at the picture, it tells you everything you need to know about this lady. And uh, I'm not big on judging people by appearance, but I'm judging this lady by appearance. In the picture... She's standing in front of an old wooden cross that says Justicia on it, and there's some guy that looks like she barely sobered him up enough to pick the guitar, sitting over there picking a guitar. Right. And I can see her complaining about the evils of smoking. This is this is someone who's had a negative experience in her life and can't just suck it up and suffer in, in silence. Right. Has to try to spread the misery around. And, I'll, and I'm, I applaud them for suing them and saying, hey, we were here first. You don't need to interfere with our business. And here's the deal. Hey, tell the people that go to your church, we need a new location. Yeah. Yeah, pony up the dollars for it. Yeah, pony up the dollars. If anything, right before you hand out the collection plate, give a big cough and say, anybody that don't want to die of cancer, here, pass it around. And, and the big thing, more importantly, also, just because this is such an exercise in passive aggression, if you've got an issue, take it up with the landlord. You know, to resort to name calling and, you know, picketing and doing all this stuff, just 
you know, work, work it out with the landlord. They're the ones in control of who occupies the spaces. Right. And what business does she have in my cigar lounge? If I right. want to smoke a cigar, I smoke a cigar. Nothing she's going to say or do is going to change that. It's right. just going to inconvenience me and her both. Yeah, exactly. But on that happy note, and I'll give me a judgment on the Project 40. Um, four and a half? Four, four and three quarters? Did it ever come alive for you? Is it not warmed yet. up? Not yet. It's well, you're still, about a two-third of the way through it. Not quite. I'm, I'm, about, I'm about halfway. It's... There's, there's kind of a metallic aftertaste happening right now. So it's not the best um, in terms of what it's giving for. Because I, I like a good aftertaste, mouth presence kind of thing. And getting that tinniness and that metallic flavor is just not really helping it out right now. The flavor is great. The draw is phenomenal. The construction is really good. But the flavor is just leaving a little bit to be desired. Yeah, and it's a medium filler cigar, so you're just not going to get that complexity of flavor. There's a reason why $12 cigars are $12 cigars and $5 cigars are $5 mm-hmm. cigars. And all that you can't pick up a $5 cigar and expect it to perform like a $12 cigar. Absolutely. That cigar would never be a seven. But at $5 a stick, comparing it against other $5 sticks, you know, Charter Oak is going to, it blows it out of the water. Right. So, you know, comparing it like for like apples to apples, yeah, I, I would never expect it to compete with a Padron, but competing with other cigars in the same price point, I think it, I think it falls just a little short. Well, the Chapter 1 is always a 6. It's always going to be great. It always performs. I, I got that little stop knocked out of it, so the draw's been excellent. The flavor's there. I love the Brazilian flavor. I don't want it all the time, but this is just, it was the perfect cigar for tonight. I'm so mm-hmm. glad you took the bullet and smoked the Project 40 for me. <laughs> <laughs> and all. And I just, I, it's a six all day long. And I think it always will be. LFD has always been, they've always been consistent with their product, if not with their ordering procedures. And all, because LFD is notoriously back ordered yeah. anywhere you go. Exactly. And also, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? All right. Well, until next week, you can get a hold of us at facebook.com slash thecigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast, and you can uh, reach us via email at info at thecigarcast.com. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.